You are listening to Boise Fire Mission Strong Podcast, where we share stories from the field, public safety knowledge, and give an inside look into the Boise Fire Department. Here's your host, Fire Chief Mark Niemeyer. Today we're joined by three outstanding leaders of the Boise Fire Department. Let me introduce them. Our Division Chief of Operations, Aaron Hummel. Our B-Shift Battalion 1 Battalion Chief, Tom Moore. And our B-Shift Battalion 2 Battalion Chief, Mike Walker. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. So today we're really focused on the battalion chief role in our fire department and what that role looks like and, and the responsibilities you all have. Uh, chief Hummel, you're recently a battalion chief uh, a few years ago, now as our division chief of operations. So I'm gonna kick this off to you first to kind of get us started. What is the role of a battalion chief within the Boise Fire Department? Yeah, it's a bit of a, a, bit of a change in, in mindset. It's a big change where you go from being part of a crew to be in, uh, you know, supervising an entire battalion of crews. So it's exciting because you do have an opportunity to affect more than just one crew, but an, an entire battalion's culture. So, I mean, obviously, you know, you're uh, managing multiple resource incidents from an emergency perspective, but you're also, you know, uh, a kind of a formalized mentor and hope for change when there's issues. And then, of course, you're kind of sandwiched between labor and management. So you're having to deliver messages up and down the chain of command. So when you say you oversee multiple stations, how many stations do our battalion chiefs oversee? Depends on the battalion, but I think 2nd Battalion has six stations and seven companies. I think maybe 1st has five stations, stations, six six companies. companies. Yeah. And I think it's 3rd Battalion, six stations, seven companies as well. Perfect. So Tom, you were just on a fire. Uh, You just came into this podcast uh, fresh off a fire. That role when you show up on scene, you're the incident commander overseeing the entire operation of that incident. Just walk the listeners through uh, how that works from the time of dispatch you get on scene and what you're going through as an incident commander as that, as that fire progresses or that emergency incident progresses. So usually uh, the battalion chief does not arrive first. Uh, usually one of our engine companies is first and they start to paint a picture of what's going on. They start making their initial assignments to other arriving companies. Uh, this morning, uh, I was actually arrived on location first, so a little bit different. Um, started to make contact with the with the calling party, find out a little more information, uh, and then make those initial assignments. But generally, uh, an engine company arrives first. The captain uh, establishes incident command. So when the battalion chief arrives, uh, in route to the call, we're we're just gathering more information, listening to the radio um, as we're driving to the scene. When once we arrive. Uh, we try and get some situational awareness, what's going on. We, we uh, get a transfer of command from that first in company. Um, and then we, we come up with a game plan or continue that captain's game plan of, of how to, to stabilize the incident. So um, on this particular one, everything went smoothly. Uh, it was fire on a stove. It was put out relatively quick. Ventilation clean, cleared out the, the rest of the building. Um, and it was pretty quick work this morning. So to maybe talk a little bit about, for, for the listeners of the podcast that are in the fire service, they're going to know exactly what you do and, and kind of how it rolls. But for the listeners that aren't, you get that initial tones to respond. You mentioned it already. You're, you're driving a vehicle code three. You're trying to listen to that radio to, to also get your picture painted in your head. What's that stress level like for you at times when, when there's so much going on, you're trying to manage a few things all at once? Uh, it can get stressful. You ha- your adrenaline definitely kicks in, so uh, you're, you have kind of a heightened 
sense of everything, but you are trying to take in as much information as you can. Well, as you say, we're still, we're driving our vehicle. We're making sure we get there safely right. as well. Um, but it's, it's really about the amount of information we get on the, from the onset and then uh, the, the reports we get from our company officers that really paint a picture of what's going on for us throughout the entire incident. You know, through the years of the fire service, I think we're all considered the senior guys in the fire service, mainly because of our age. Uh, I'm sure the rookies have some other term for us, but you know, there was a time where when we all first probably came in, there was probably a few good mentors out there, but it was a culture of kind of power is knowledge and all that kind of stuff. And there wasn't a lot of sharing of information to progress your career. Talk about your role coming up to a battalion chief and, and those that may have mentored you to help you get there. And now as a battalion chief, your obligation to mentor others to help them get to your spot. When Chief Hummel and I came on, we came on together in May 1st, 1995, completely different culture. And as you alluded to, uh, there was a, um, a philosophy of knowledge is power. I'm going to hoard the power. People at the low end of the, of the totem pole were not allowed to have any information or to know things right. or provide input. And I, I'm really proud of our department that that culture has changed. And we are developing people either even earlier and earlier than, than I ever imagined. And we've got some absolutely fantastic people that are coming up through the ranks now that are going to do amazing things. Um, I had a, a handful of mentors that, that helped me all the way through. Uh, I think it was most critical to have uh, the mentors as I was becoming a captain, because now you're really, you're taking on uh, a huge amount of responsibility from, it's the biggest step you take right. Uh, right. from, uh, to that point in your career. Uh, and really the captains are, they're kind of the backbone of operations. They are, they, they are the ones that make things work. And uh, we need to do everything we can to develop those, those folks that are gonna be moving into that position. And I think we've done a pretty good job. I think we've, we are willing to, to treat someone who um, is younger like they actually have value and they're smart. You, yes. you don't have to wait till you're 15 years on to actually uh, have a brain. Uh, so we're doing a really good job with that. And, and I had a handful when I was doing it 15 years ago. Uh, there were less uh, mentors out there, less people willing to, to share. And honestly, um, nothing against our predecessors, but the quality of individuals and mentors we have now is dynamite. So uh, this, the, the next generation is in good hands and, and we'll continue to develop them. Which I think means the department's in great hands, right? As you alluded to with, with these great emerging leaders at the company officer level and even below that are moving towards it, uh, the department's in great hands. Yeah, which is, uh, good news uh, for the uh, position of battalion chief too, because we have some really solid captains that are uh, tr starting their process to work up into to battalion chief, uh, and I, and that's really incumbent upon us as battalion chiefs to develop them and and uh, make them better, prepare them for that. Um, and um, I think one of the the changes in culture too from the old days was. I don't want my successor to outshine me. Right. right. But I think as a, if you're really truly a mentor and a leader, you want that. You hope for it. You want yeah. that person to outshine you. And I have no doubt, <laughs> I, I, absolutely no doubt, that the next round of next generation of battalion chiefs is going to uh, like make me look like I was, uh, you know, just elementary. And I think we want that for every position, certainly mine included. That you hope the next fire chief is way better than you are. And uh, I'm, I'm probably in your camp with that one. Uh, I think 
let's go back to you, Mike. Um, we talked about it a little bit, but it, what was your professional and even personal journey? Let's talk more about the personal journey coming from firefighter to senior firefighter and then company officer. You mentioned it, that, and we've said it on this podcast before, that company officer role is probably the most critical role in the fire department. I think one of the most difficult roles is yours as battalion chiefs, because as Aaron alluded to, you're one foot in the line, you're one foot in administration, you're, you're trying to navigate all those different demands and requests and needs. What did you have, if any, challenges personally going through that transgression in, in the ranks? Well, I, I feel pretty fortunate because early on in my career, I kind of mapped out what I wanted to do. And for the most part, it's it's gone according to plan. I wanted to spend as much time as I could as a firefighter because I felt like that was a really fun position. But also, it's it's really good. Uh, I feel like it is the most valuable training ground to become a company officer because you're in the company officer's back pocket the whole time and you're watching what they do and you're right. learning. So I spent eight years there, promoted to driver. Uh, I always had in my mind that I would, would like to go into training and uh, took the test and got the opportunity. I spent six years there. Reluctantly, um, I was assigned um, and I agreed to uh, running four of our recruit academies, which was one of the most valuable experiences I had in my career because it really solidified uh, a lot of the task level skills that um, from our generation, we, we were not being trained the same way that they're being trained now. So I really, it really shored up a lot of that task level stuff. So when I became a company officer, I could, I could more effectively yeah. operate and train my crew. Uh, it also gave me um, so many other uh, uh, skills and experiences that have been hugely valuable. Leading uh, a group of, of young men and women, um, discipline, organizing, uh, and also seeing um, the view from outside of operations, which I think is really valuable. And it's, it allowed me to see that there is so much more going on in the department than what you see when you just show up at the station, right. uh, yep. you know, every shift. So. From there, I, uh, after six years, I, I cut the cord and I went back to the line as a, as a captain, which was really the, uh, probably the funnest time I had. At Station 9, I had a great cruise all the way through, and being a part of that cohesive unit and training together, working together, living together was just, just really, uh, really valuable, just yep. fond memories of it. And then, of course, I, I thought, you know, uh, I would like to be BC. and because of the opportunities that you have to, to uh, have a little more influence, a little bit more uh, ability to steer and guide, like not just your battalion, but one of the things that I really like about how we operate is uh, under Chief Hummel and, and Chief Bull before him, the battalion chiefs have been empowered to really have a lot of influence over what happens in the department. And it makes sense because we have one foot, we, we are still engaged with uh, all of the the rank and file, and we know kind of what's going on. We have a view of admin. We are uh, really well positioned to have, to make really smart, intelligent decisions for the department. And um, I'm grateful that, that yeah. that's happened. And you all do a great job at it. But just as the transition goes, you're out of the group of three here, you're the, you're the newest battalion chief. What was the biggest surprise you had going from company officer to battalion chief? What's the one thing you didn't anticipate uh, as you made that transition? I'm going to give you two if that's all right. Okay. Uh, so they always, everyone says <laughs> <laughs> that um, the administrative and personnel issues are going to dominate your time. And I'm like, mm, yeah, I know that. But I was surprised by how many administrative and uh, personnel uh, issues I'm dealing with uh, 
on a daily basis. And not necessarily, just for the listeners, not necessarily these big, huge personnel issues, but no. just personalities, right? No, human like, beings, you know, supervising and leading human beings. Yeah. Just little things like dealing with an issue on telestaff right. or, you know, trying to, you know, coach someone on, like, you can't abandon your district uh, just on your own. You know, little things like that. You're constantly dealing with things like that. My second uh, item is, uh, refers back to what Chief Moore was saying about going to fire. And, and what I was surprised was by, was uh, the fog of war. We have that as captains and company officers, but I feel absolutely blind sometimes when I show up at, a, at an incident. And I'm, that information gap and catching up to what's actually going on uh, was surprising to me. We make a lot of assumptions about what is happening on the scene based on the reports we get. And we arrive and it's not quite what we see. Right. And um, we are really reliant on our companies to provide us really good information because we're not gonna be inside the building. We're not gonna be on the backside of the building. Yep. We do try and get a walk around when we can, uh, but we're really, you, you are so dependent on your folks yep. for good information. Dependent on that information, yeah. Tom, you've, you've been a BC for a while now, uh, but I'll take you back. That, that transition company officer to battalion chief, what was the biggest surprise for you that you thought, oh, I, I didn't know this was going to happen? I 100% agree with, with uh, Chief Walker on, on that. And th probably the amount of time, uh, time management <laughs> or yeah. the lack of free time or, yeah. or uh, just with, with dealing with with stuff. I worked uh, 10 years prior to being promoted to battalion chief. I was on engine five, which, you know, nonstop kind of super busy. You, you fit things in as you can. Uh, I kind of mistakenly thought going to a battalion chief, I would be able to manage my time and, right. and have a lot more time to do different projects. How many I years wanted in, how's to. that work for you? So I'm, I think I'm, I'm a little over five years in, as the BC rank and I'm still trying to figure it out because yeah. uh, just as chief Walker said, it's, uh, there's, you're getting pulled different directions right. for different things. Um, so you really have to be good at managing your time. Let me ask you this too, over five years, you, you've responded to those incidents as a battalion chief that weren't in your Rolodex. Uh, Mike alluded to these calls, right? That yeah. we can train for a lot of stuff. We can't train for everything. How did you handle mentally, even responding to that call that you had never had in your Rolodex? What was your thought process going to that call? I think you, you fall back on, you know, our incident priorities. Right. Um, uh, you know, everything is risk management. Yep. You risk a lot to save a lot, risk a little to save a little, basically, yep. right? Um, and then just knowing that to rely on on your company officers, rely on your crews, because we've got some really great people out there that uh, are really valuable. They have a wide variety of skills and knowledge, and being able to rely on them really helps a lot. That was a great answer. That could be a test question for promotion. So for those listening that might promote, maybe listen to that part of it. That was great. Aaron, I'll ask you the same thing, but in a different context. You were a battalion chief, a senior battalion chief. Uh, I know when I got here three years ago, working through that. And then you made that big jump from battalion chief to division chief. I'd ask you the same question I asked uh, Tom and Mike. What was your biggest surprise transitioning now from shift work to the day work and a, and a higher level of responsibility? Great question, and I actually have gotten that a few times. Uh, the, the big thing for me is a different kind of stress. Uh, as a battalion chief, I call it kind of an impending doom stress. If you have the right mindset as a battalion chief uh, and you recognize the gravity of the position that you hold and that there's a lot of families depending on you to make a good decision at the right time, 
um, that's impending doom stress. You don't know what you're going to get woke up on in the middle of the night and you hope that you're ready. Um, I would be exhausted by the evening of day two, even if we weren't busy as a bat chief. As an administrator, it's a different kind of stress. It's a whole nother level of volume being thrown at you. Uh, as a bat chief in the field, you have two days and you're trying in those waking hours to meet the needs of your captains and your subordinates and deal with administrative things. Maybe it's even over a weekend, so you have limited ability to do things, uh, at least with the office if they have to interact with us. So that was really challenging to get the administrative work done as a bat chief on shift in those two daytime hour pieces. As an administrator, it's actually, uh, it's been pleasant in the sense that there's a lot of space and time to get those administrative duties done when you're working a five-day work schedule. So um, it is a different kind of stress though. Instead, you trade the impending doom stress for the you'll never please anybody or everybody stress and you'll yeah. never, ever, ever, ever empty your in basket. And if you don't have good time management skills, it's gonna affect your, it will affect uh, how good of a leader you are as far as effectiveness. A little more 24 seven stress. Yeah. Yeah. That's another thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that is, it's different type of stress, but yes, it's almost, uh, you, you never, it's hard to clock out sometimes. I think for our listeners, you, you can hear, uh, from all three of those answers, that level of responsibility. I think we all feel that accountability to do better for the organization that in and of itself creates a little stress because you have high expectations of yourself and what we're doing. And that's a good stress. Honestly, I think that if we're, if we're pushing ourselves to keep being better for the organization and ultimately the community, that's a good thing. That certainly can take a toll. In just a word, uh, what keeps you up at night? Maybe two words or three, but but what keeps you up at night? Worrying about the phone call I'm going to get that yeah. I don't want to get. Yeah. You know, something bad happened. Tom, Battalion One, what keeps you up at night? Grass fire in the wildland urban interface. Yeah. Yep. Can see that, Mike. Mayday. Mayday. Yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about Mayday um, because that is one of the most stressful, critical situations we could ever have on a fire ground. Uh, so with that, um, Mike, I'll go to you. Uh, and just a couple words. As a battalion chief, what are the biggest challenges you face? We maybe alluded to this a little bit earlier, but you know, day to day as a battalion chief, what are the biggest challenges you face kind of day to day? Balancing the workload. Yeah. Really, it's because... Chief Hummel has a great uh, analogy that he calls it being in the blender. You mm -hmm. show up at work and mm -hmm. and there's been so many days where I've shown up and I'm like, all right, nothing on the schedule, I'm gonna get a lot done. Yeah. And <laughs> you show up and in the first half hour, it's completely blown Go because on. you've mm -hmm. got all these different phone calls and yeah. surprise meetings and stuff like that. And um, uh, that, not that you guys need to respond. Yeah, I heard an accusation. <laughs> <laughs> You know, just it, your your day is just completely dictated. Uh, you don't have control of your day. And so to get all the things you have to get done is really challenging. That's that's probably the, the biggest challenge I have. Uh, because on top of the surprise you get from um, different things, like this morning we had a change to the, to the training schedule that required some work to shift people around, dealing with things like that. Uh, there's a telestaff issue or staffing issue. Um, you know, there's one thing or another happens and, and you got to deal with it. And then you throw on top of that, a call comes in and we have to respond. You have to drop everything yep. and go. And I think for our listeners, non-fire non listeners, when we talk about things like moving the schedule around, moving people around, it sounds simplistic. 
right? I often say the fire service is simple in its, in its mission and very complex in its delivery, right? It takes a lot of things to move the pieces oh, of a large organization. <laughs> Sorry. Nope, you're good. Dispatch battalion. Yeah. yeah, Tom talks about the the grass fire. Yeah, uh, totally. The most the most chaotic responses I've had were grass fires oh, because yeah. you're not only are you trying to uh, listen to the radio, figure out where it's at, how to get there, are the right resources going? Right. You're getting phone calls from. Uh, the BLM, mm -hmm. you are maybe getting a phone call from another BC who is trying to help yeah. you out and yeah. solve problems. It's there yeah, is you got geography challenges, you got wind driven challenges, you got all these things. You got to be thinking about code red notifications. Yep. You got to be thinking about a comp plan, plan, a staging area. There's just yeah, controlling the response so yep. it doesn't get funneled into the wrong place. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get back to the questions. Um, we we've alluded to maydays and certainly from a command uh, officer standpoint the mayday is the one thing we never want to have to deal with it's you know for our listeners it's when we have a firefighter uh, in trouble that we need to almost it's an incident within an incident so chief homo maybe walk the listeners through a mayday how stressful that can be but more importantly how we operate through that mayday to ensure the safety of our firefighters so mayday uh you know lost trapped or injured firefighter we're kind of modifying our policy a little bit so just because someone has an injury doesn't mean it's a mayday right. uh if you have uh, it's basically what makes it so stressful is that it's we're used to day in and day out you know responding to the public's needs and and, and looking to help them with their yeah. problem it's pretty abnormal for us to have one of our people have a problem that we now need to right put into the, you know, our set of priorities and address that. So when you hear Mayday, Mayday, Mayday come over the radio, um, it's a very stressful thing as a bat chief. A guy named Don Abbott did a series of Mayday studies and they looked at uh, historically what was causing them, when were they happening. And at the end of the report, he had uh, a few quotes that were in there. And one of the quotes that really stuck with me was, and these are quotes from people that actually manage significant line of duty death Maydays. Um, one of the ones was, it spoke loudly to me as a bat chief that went through a mayday line of duty that said, oh, if you think that you're ready for a mayday, trust me, you're not. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter how much prep you do, you're, you're not emotionally going to be ready for that. And I've had certainly in, in the time that I was a bat chief, I've had a, a handful of instances that really um, were stressful, got your attention. And so anytime, like, in my opinion, the, the best way to, to deal with that as a bat chief is you can't just wing it when you get there. Right. You know, we're gonna default to our training and, and that's why we try to prioritize that in our battalion chief training and our uh, battalion chief academies. But you have to have a plan and we can't plan for everything. Yeah. You, you can't communicate when there's an open mic and screaming on it and you don't have the ability that kind of messes up your plan, you know? And so, but all we can do is the best we can, which is really rehearse uh, the way I like to do it is kind of segment out packages of depending on the nature of the mayday, how I'm going to react and in what order I'm going to do things. And then you rehearse those again and again. And honestly, I actually went through a number of mayday rehearsals in my mind when I was on shift, uh, oftentimes laying in bed at night, getting ready to try to go to sleep because you have that impending doom stress. You don't know when it's going to happen. It could happen tonight in the middle of the night. And am I ready for that? So I would dream up different scenarios that I potentially could be faced with and think through with my all my faculties and not a, a reptile brain 
uh, I would think through how I would, how would I manage that unknown screaming radio traffic type thing? How am I going to systematically uh, organize a response to that and in what order? So I think we've done, certainly like most fire departments across the country, we have done things to mitigate the chances of a mayday, its strategies, its tactics, how we deploy into a fire, all of that. But to your point, you can't account for everything. Uh, and so I think the training as we do, uh, is the best way to be prepared for it. Well, we know the leading cause of death is cardiac events, right? right? right. So can't really train for that short of having, you know, good tactics and strategies. Sometimes those events are going to occur and it's an absolute emergency when it does. How are you going to react to that as an IC on the fire ground? And one of the things that I like to say is you're not documenting in your tactical command sheet because you don't have control of the incident today or that moment, you're, you're documenting so that when it escalates out of control in the next five minutes, that you have something to default to. We're calling that extra alarm uh, on an instant, not necessarily because we don't have the people to deal with what's in front of us, but you have to have some sort of tactical reserve so that when that you know event within an event comes in, you're ready to be able to handle that. So Tom, your past experience, you had some dispatch experience prior to coming to Boise Fire as an incident commander now, how important is that connection and relationship to the dispatch center, especially in a critical incident? I think it's helped me a lot over the years, just understanding kind of how the dispatch center works, what the dispatchers are going through. Um, it, they, they truly are kind of left in the dark a lot. Uh, they don't know all the details of what's going on. They have limited information. And when, when there is a big incident, it, it gets very busy and stressful for them as well. So it's given me a real understanding of, of how things affect them as you know, and, and then when I ask for assistance with them, kind of have, I think a better understanding of, okay, it might take them a minute because they're pretty busy and yeah. things are, are very stressful for them as well. Yeah. I think sometimes, especially with our newer generation that maybe hasn't spent time in a dispatch center to see how that works on their end, uh, it's stressful for you. It's equally stressful for them, especially because they're helpless. They're not there. You know, they're they're sometimes however many miles away. And and they're they're hearing the same radio traffic we're hearing, but they're. I mean, we're we're getting a lot more information about what's going on and and have some semblance of control, hopefully, over the situation. Yeah. But uh, you know, them being so far removed, uh, they they get the stress and and don't really. Um, have a way like any any way to see how it's being resolved but as a battalion chief they're they're pretty critical to you because they're providing you even updates on how long it's been since your first arriving or yes. you know some of those time frames they're they're getting that back to you as a battalion chief where to your point Aaron about you got so many things going on in your head you might miss that and so that's a critical resource even to oh definitely so we'll, we'll wrap this up it's been about 30 minutes really appreciate all your time Really talking about that role of battalion chief, some of the stress and anxiety that, that you guys face on a great on a daily basis. But I think you all could nod and say it's a very rewarding position to be in. Mm -hmm. uh, I know certainly there's times where you probably look back and said, I'd love to be back uh, doing that job. But I'll wrap it up this way, and, and I'll just start with you, Mike, and we'll go down. You know, I mentioned at the start of this that we're probably the more senior leaders in the department, right? You've been around a, a while. You've had a lot of experiences. I know a lot of times we get asked, what's the worst thing you've ever seen? We really don't want to talk about that. It's, you know, but it's natural for people to ask. So I'll ask it this way. Throughout your career so far to date, what's been one of the most memorable things you've had happen to you in the fire department throughout your career so far? I'm going to take it from this standpoint, like most significant, like one of the sure. um, 
I, I guess it would be most memorable, but uh, being assigned to be in charge of the Recruit Academy, didn't want it, but I became the guy. Yeah. Uh, I'm so grateful for it, and it is, it is one of the highlights of my career. Um, I, I loved training the new guys, and I, and I felt like it was, um, it was very rewarding personally. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot of responsibility, and, and myself, along with uh, the folks that, that helped me, I feel like, I, I feel like we, uh, we did a, a decent job yep. of pre prepping yep. these new guys to come in. And, and, and really, the, when I see what uh, the recruits are doing now that were in my academies, I'm just, I'm like a proud dad. Proud, like, proud yeah, they're, they're knocking out of the park. Very cool. Tom, what about you? Most, most memorable so far through the career? There's so many like different things that you remember and things that you don't want to remember, but, uh, and, you, and you try and learn something from every, every bit. Um, probably my, my most memorable would be the Oregon Trail Fire. Mm -hmm. Just stuff that you only, I, I had only seen on TV or right. you know, uh, read about in the past, and then it's happening right here in Boise where we have a whole block of houses on fire, yeah. uh, wind-driven event, so uh, fire spreading quickly to other houses. And and everybody, uh, it's kind of like we fell back on our training and everybody just like stepped up and things yeah. kind of ran smoothly, which I, I would expect total chaos, but um, overall everything, I mean, we everybody worked well together, everything, uh, it was an unfortunate event and right. Um, but uh, that's that's probably I think back on that a lot as you know like hey we we do work well together we, you know things the thing the way we train for major incidents actually works. So there's a saying that the more uh, the, the bigger the incident the more we do go back to the core of what we do right we don't overthink things. Mm -hmm. Your experience is that pretty true? The bigger the incident the more chaotic. The more we just get back to the core, it's the it's the priorities that you guys have alluded to. It seems like I've seen that throughout my career. It sounds like that was your experience. Yeah, from from the beginning, Recruit Academy. When I, when I started, I had zero fire experience. I had some law enforcement dispatching experience, um, EMS experience. I was uh, an EMT and rode on ambulances for for several years prior to coming here. Uh, but zero fire experience, and and throughout the Recruit Academy and and the training, uh, we do a lot of repetitive stuff. And it's like, you, you kind of think, why are we doing this? I've, I've done this a, a hundred times, right? But when you are in the stressful situation and it's overwhelming, you fall back on that and it's second nature. Yep. And that, that's the reason we do it. Yep. Um, we, you fall back and everything works the way it's supposed to work. Sir, and I'll, I'll finish with you. You've had some time to think about it now. Just most memorable for you so far throughout your career. Well, I mean, anytime you do this job for any period of time, we're gonna have horrible memories we don't wanna remember that you couldn't make a difference on. I, I'm sure I've worked on well over 100 people that didn't make it. Mm -hmm. uh, the ones that are real challenging to me that I can think back as numerous fatality fires that the window of opportunity for rescue was so small that it didn't have a good outcome. Yep. And yet every day in this city, we have people doing drills all over the place, prepping for that moment when you get that opportunity that you can hopefully, hopefully execute. And I can think of a couple rescues that 
came out that were favorable, where we actually, the timing was right, we were notified fast enough, we had units, the closer units were not already on other calls, we were able to get there and actually execute what we had, tra we had trained to do so many times, we were able to pull someone out of a fire and actually have them survive that event uh, without deficit. So I can think of a couple different events that were really notable for me in that and gratifying that we finally got a chance where the timing worked out to where we could do what we had trained so many times to do. Yeah, perfect. Well, thank you guys for joining us. I know uh, it's been a little bit interesting with the European Senior Year and mm -hmm. some calls going on. Uh, that is the life of a battalion chief. Uh, so I really appreciate you taking the time and joining us and uh, uh, have a great shift. Thanks, Boise, for tuning in. We hope you join us next month for another exciting episode of the Mission Strong podcast.